there's something supernatural that is happening this morning and I, I can't just, I, all I can do is just sit back and just watch as God is at work. I never want us to, I never want us to move from these moments because God is doing something here. is doing something. Holy Spirit, we just continue to invite you in this place even as we respond to your word. Would you stir up our heart's affections for you? In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. Please remain standing with me. Please remain standing with me. I'm going to quickly read our scripture today and we're going to jump in. This is what the Lord, where the Lord is, two verses that we're going to be unpacking today. Genesis 2, 16 through 17. And the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when on that day you eat from it, you will certainly die. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, speak in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Oh, man, come on, somebody. Somebody once said, ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party because a Holy Ghost party don't stop. That's good, man. We'll just take that all, all day. All day, every day. I want to, I first of all, thank you, Overflow Church. Last week, we had our big day, which is really just a baptism day. We were calling our big day. And we had more people here than we did on Easter this year. The most people that we've ever had. We baptized six people. God just did his thing. And, like, like that's, not, that's not because... I'm a good preacher. Listen, I, I know that. <laughs> That's not because uh, our worship team was crushing it. Like, they, they do great. It's not because kids is amazing. That's because you participated with what God is doing. And you invited and you prayed. And that's because of, of you. And so I just want to thank you. Uh, I don't know if you heard, but we already have $94,000 that's going to be going towards uh, canceling our debt here at the church. So again, if that's something God is stirring up in your heart, man, jump in on that, right? Because we, we're, we're going to build one of the dopest kids' wings here that kids from around which are struggling, going through stuff, are going to be able to come in here and just enjoy and be in the same environment. Like, that's what we're here for. We don't exist for ourselves. We exist to show the world Jesus. By doing one thing, by proclaiming Jesus. It's really simple. And so I love that that's our church. We're going to continue to lean into that. And uh, I'm excited if you can't tell. Come on. Last week, we started our series entitled The... Come on, y'all talking about it like it's the bad life. Come on. Like, we, talk, we started our series entitled The... And so, whew, that, that felt good. All right. Uh, and, and so I got my, my hammock here. I got a chance to, to, to lay in it in between services. Uh, I got my, my hammock here. And, just, uh, and that's just the epitome for us, this picture. I just wanted to stand in your mind the good life. What does a, a good life uh, look like? Uh, with that in mind, uh, today we're going to be engaging with uh, the scriptures 
And we're going to go all the way back to Genesis. Going all the way back to Genesis. Because in Genesis, the Bible says that God created the heavens and the earth, and he puts together all these things. And then by the time we get uh, towards uh, the last couple of chapters of creation, chapter 2, God says one thing. He says, it is good. And so, so if God says it is good and he places human beings in that good and beautiful creation, right, that means that there are basic components that God believes that are good for us to flourish as human beings. And so the first week we talked about how uh, God is inviting us on the journey to interrupt him on the journey to yield and surrender ourselves to him Right? And as we follow Jesus on the way to Jerusalem, as we interrupt him, what is he going to do? He's going to invite us to live a full life. This week, and for the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about, so now what does that look like? How is it practical? How, how does it become a, a tangible? Because if, if John 10.10 is true, that God wants us to live a good life, a full life, Life. This means that we have to be directly impacted by every part of God's kingdom. It has to shape our lives. Dallas Willard, uh, philosopher, professor from U- University of Southern California, and, and a Christian thinker, said these words, that the kingdom of God is where what God wants to happen happens. The kingdom of God is where what God wants to happen happens. This is what it means. Where Christ is king, he has sovereign rule and reign of everything that is in his kingdom. So if, if the kingdom is going to directly impact everything that is in our life, and if Christ is king, that means we have to yield and surrender everything in us to the king of glory. That, that he has to take everything in our lives, all of the stuff. Yes, even the stuff that we hide in the secret compartments. That we think nobody wants, nobody knows that it's just us. We have to give that over to Jesus. That means things that we choose to do and things that we set as boundaries in our lives. And we set things as boundaries in our lives, not because we, we, we can't do them, right? Not because, not because it's not okay to do them, but because uh, these things may become detrimental to our lives if we do not set good and beautiful uh, boundaries in our lives. So, so let me give you an example. Let's play a quick game. I'm going to ask you guys, everybody, to raise your hands. Raise your hands. Keep them up in the air. And I'm going to ask you a question. All right? That's right. Wave him like he just don't care. Come on. And, and when, I ask you, when I ask you this question, I want you to drop your hands at, when I get to your number. Okay, here it is. Trick question. How many hours a day do you spend uh, watching TV, social media, on your phones, on your computers? All right? And, I'm, and when I get to your number, drop it. All right, here we go. One hour? Two hours? Three hours? Four? Okay, everybody just, just drop your hand. It's, it's, it's getting a little, a little. Oh my gosh. Here it is. According to a study that was written uh, by Market Watch Group in August 4th, 2018, this is pre pandemic. The average American adult spent more than 11 hours per day 
watching, reading, listening, or simply interacting with, with media. According to that, uh, 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 that study by the market research group of Nielsen, that was up nine hours and 32 minutes just four years prior to 2018. Can you imagine what the data is today? Can you just imagine that? I mean, like, we were binge-watching shows on Netflix to where we were upset because Netflix wasn't putting out enough shows. Like, like, do you guys remember that we were stuck and glued to TVs watching something called Tiger King? I'm ashamed of that myself right now, you know. It was a good show, though. <laughs> Here's the thing. Do you know that uh, in Silicon Valley, Silicon Valley, where it is their jobs to try to get you in your face in a screen. It's literally a job. They spend day and night, they spend billions of dollars trying to get you to get in the screen, to swipe left, to swipe right, to press buy, right? To, to get your intention on that thing for hours and hours and hours. Do you know that uh, for their families in Silicon Valley, that there's, there's what they call uh, zero screen time? Zero screen time. They limit their own children from the amount of screen time they watch. Here's the reason. They understand that there is something unhealthy with the human soul when you do not have boundaries. Today, I, I want to challenge us with one of the things that God puts into the scriptures for us. So, so you might be like, man, I thought this was going to be a fun Sunday, Elijah. We were praying. God was moving. Now you're talking about boundaries. I want you to stick with me. This, this, this component, this component of boundaries, I think is, is one of the things that God puts in our lives so that we can actually live a good, good life. The good and beautiful life that Jesus uh, came to include, says that godly boundaries give order to the chaos around us. The, the godly boundaries give actually order to the, the chaos around us. I, I want you to, to think about what's happening in Genesis chapter 1, right? God is, is creating, and the Bible says that the world was formless and it was without shape. And, and this is what he says as he's creating. He, he says uh, that the earth was formless and it was without void and it covered the deep. And so what God does is he subdues the chaos and establishes boundaries in place. So that creation can flourish. How does he do that? Well, he separates light from day, and he calls it what? Day and night. He separates sky from ground, and on and on it goes, because God is trying to create a, a space that can actually flourish well, because uh, people flourish when there is boundaries. Creation flourishes when it has boundaries. But all you have to do is look at California <laughs> when those boundaries are torn apart and fire just spreads through, destroying everything that it can. Yeah. And so you know how firefighters stop those wildfires? They go and create other fires and they create lines of fire so that they can create boundaries to stop the fire from spreading. Amen. See, I, I would like to suggest something here that the reason why some of our lives are in chaos, the reason why some of our lives are out of order is because we push back at this idea 
of creating boundaries in our lives. And we reject those things. And so what naturally happens is that our lives become these wildfires without boundaries and everything is consumed and everything burns. Because we push back at what God wants to do in us. Let's be honest here, right? Just be honest with you. When you hear the word boundaries, how many of you have a negative emotion towards that word? I do. Anybody else? Oh, y'all are holy. Okay. <laughs> I do. But, but, because you know, you want to know why? Because we, we are taught here in the West that boundaries are bad, that you should do whatever you want. You're an American, not an American. Right? Like, it's all about what is it that I want? What can I do? How can I make myself feel better? Right? Do whatever you want as long as you don't hurt anybody else. But that's just not true. And the crazy thing is that we know it. Just look at Hollywood right now. Look, look, look at the destructive things that happen when people are given unlimited resources and they're not given the boundaries in which to live in. And, they, and, they, and just poor decisions after poor decision after poor decision. And we see the destruction of people. Right? And we think these things are limiting, but they're not. I don't know how many times I have sat with people over and over again and counseled them. Right now, I am counseling more people than I ever thought. And, 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 and said, hey, hey, listen, don't, don't stay at your girlfriend's apartment till like 1 or 2 a.m. in the morning. That's, that's, not a, that's not a good idea. Set a boundary for yourself. He'll come, Pastor, you know what? You were right. <laughs> I shouldn't have been over there till 1 a.m. in the morning. Okay. <laughs> and it's like, right. Like, don't, don't text that person. You know you're married. Don't, don't text that person, right, at work. Pastor, you know what, man? Hey, can you, can you counsel me and my wife? Yeah, I, I did that thing. Hey, hey, don't, don't stay up into the, the way hours of the early morning, 2, 3 in the morning, scouring on Facebook and on your computer. You will find yourself in a deep and dark place, caught up in this system of brokenness and temptation, and you're asking myself, why can't I be free of lust? Why can't I be free of, of, of buying things that I don't want to buy? Why can't I be free? Because you have not created healthy boundaries for yourself. Boundaries are part of God's original plan to subdue the chaos that is in our hearts and establish order. To be able to say no to something is actually a good thing for our souls. See, God set these boundaries to protect us from spiraling. Let's look back at the, at the text again. God places Adam and Eve in the perfect environment to flourish, and that includes a world with boundaries. What does he say? You can have everything here, but you can't have that. This is the perfect place. The perfect place where God's spirit is in. Listen, man, God literally came down and walked with them in the cool of the day. And they enjoyed a relationship with God. And there was no animosity between man and woman. And you could walk up to a lion or a tiger and you could just be there and be at rest. And you wouldn't feel fear or any of those things, right? And God establishes all that and he says, okay, but here it is. Here's this boundary. One pastor says it like this, that the violation of the, the boundary of eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil had built-in consequences. It's not a, it wasn't a threat by God. God didn't say, if you step over this boundary, I will kill you. 
He simply let them know that the boundary was a protection from something detrimental. When we see clearly in the text, what we see clearly in the text is that a life without boundaries will give us false and a false short-term feeling of satisfaction. It will give us a short-term feeling of satisfaction, but ultimately will lead us to a life of destruction. Of course it feels good in the moment. Of course it feels good for me to continue to eat and eat and eat and eat. And listen, I like to eat. I tell y'all this every Sunday. But at some point, I'm going to become unhealthy. And guess who's going to suffer? Not just myself, but my family. Because there's chaos because I did not allow myself to have boundaries. It feels good in the moment. It's satisfying in the moment. But it always leads to ultimate destruction. It always leads to ultimate destruction. Uh, See, a life with godly boundaries, and here's the truth that we have to understand, is ultimately a life of freedom. It's actually not a life of restriction. It is a a life of of freedom. Let's look back at the scripture, right? What what is it saying? You can have every tree in the garden. See, the thing is that they did not understand, and we have to allow ourselves to understand, is that God actually said, you have free reign of everything here. Just not that. And, and what happens in the human heart is we concentrate on the one thing that we can't have, and you don't see the, the, in, the, the limitless things that we can have. They had all access to everything that was in the garden, but they wanted what they couldn't. The Bible even says that they had access to the tree of life, that they could replenish and restore that thing that God had made them to. God had made them to be, but yet they wanted what they could not have. Isn't that the way that the enemy always works? We have this good and beautiful thing where there's flourishing in our lives, where we, we, where we can uh, partake, where we're enjoying our families, we're enjoying what God is doing in this moment, yet we want that thing over there, that shiny thing, where the grass is always greener and what will ultimately lead to destruction. And you name it, you fill in the blocks. We've done it over and over again. I've done it over and over and over again. I am no different. I'm not telling you what, 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 just what is here. I'm telling you what I know from life experience. When we do not allow boundaries in our lives, we, we don't see the good and beautiful thing that God is actually doing in our lives. And we always fall into fall into to chaos. Instead of understanding there's actually ultimate freedom, there's ultimate flourishing for our slow souls, that we will actually not be enslaved by the boundaries that God has actually given us, but we can actually live in the fullness of humanity the way God had intended for our good and not our destruction. Here it is. Jesus exemplifies it uh, in himself. We've been talking about this a couple of times Sometime in uh, the, the new year, we're going to go through a whole series where we're going to walk through the whole book of Philippians. I'm, I'm really excited about that. But Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, what does God, the Bible say? It says that God limited himself, that he, he condescended into human form. The God of the cosmos limits himself and he takes on flesh. 
He puts a boundary around himself. Why? Because when he does that, what will lead, it will lead ultimately to our flourishing as human beings. That we will receive the, the resources of that. Not only does he do that, but as the masses are following himself, following him, he limits himself to 120 disciples. 120 people which are following, right? The crowds would, would come and often Jesus would turn them away. If you read the scriptures, read the gospels, he says it over and over again. He says he would turn them away. He would say really hard things because he wants, he's like, hey, I can't pour into everybody. I can only pour into a few. How much of the e human ego would be like, man, I'm killing it right now. I'm a rock star. I want as many people following me as I can. What? I got blue check mark on my Instagram? Some of y'all don't watch Instagram. Oh, Facebook? Zenga? Anybody? Okay, all right. AOL? It's a messenger? All right. Then what does God do? God continues to reduce that. He, he limits us up from 120 to what? 12. And he pours into the 12 here, the apostles. And then even in that, look at what he does. He limits himself from the 12 to the 3 to specifically pour into them. And then he continues to set the boundary because if he's going to follow Jesus and flourish as a human being, what does he do? The Bible says that he would constantly do what? Retreat and go off by himself. Over and over and over again, for Christ to live in the fullness of who he was, to live out the call that the Father had put upon him, he would constantly set boundaries on his time and his personhood so that he could ultimately flourish. He, he, he doesn't go all over the place in, in, in his three and a half years of ministry. If you actually track where Jesus went, he, he just kind of went around Jerusalem. He was like Jerusalem, Judea, Judea, Jerusalem. Like he was kind of in this same little area. You would think this guy who's supposed to be the Messiah of the whole world was going to be in Spain one second and in China the next and down in Africa. No, right? He's limiting himself and he sets boundaries on his time and he's, and he's thoughtful and he's methodical and Jesus walked everywhere. Like it's often what you see in scripture, you, you never see Jesus like, and Jesus got on a horse and he rode to Judea. No. It says, and Jesus was walking. Even when he comes into Jerusalem, I just thought about this. It's free. He jumped on a donkey. Ah, it's amazing. <laughs> when they asked him, Jesus, when are you going to come back? What does he say? I, I don't know that. He limits himself. He trusts God the Father. God knows. And I'm okay with that. Jesus never felt the need to go off course, to step outside the plan of the Father. Look at the way John describes one of the most powerful scriptures in the book. In John chapter 6, verses 14 through 15. Look at the way John describes Jesus. It says, after the people saw the sign that Jesus, the signs that Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is a prophet who has come into the world. Translation, people started believing, this must be the Messiah, Right? That, that's what they're thinking here. And, and then this is what he says. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force. This is what he does. He withdrew to the mountain by himself. How many of us, how many of us in our humanity, in our humanity would be like, this is it. 
it is now time. Like, I want the power. I want it now. Yet, Jesus says no. See, Jesus was never in a hurry. He, he takes time in and of himself. He is he's pacing himself. He's following the, God, the Father's will. He sets up boundaries, and a life with boundaries ultimately leads to a life of freedom. Because when chaos comes and finds Jesus in the most crazy times and everybody else is running and jumping off the boat, right? There's a story. Jesus is literally on the boat and there's a storm and they're crying out. These fishermen, which are in the boat, they're saying, hey, this, this storm is going to kill us. Where do you find Jesus? Asleep on the boat on a pillow. Why? Because Jesus has set boundaries for himself. He knows who he is. He doesn't have to live in the same chaos as everybody else. He's at peace. So yeah, why wouldn't he say no when people want to forcibly set him up as king? Because he knows God is ultimately going to do that. What does it look like in our life to live so free? Right? When the world wants us to be chaotic, when the world wants us to stuff our face with television, wants the noise to come in our lives, what does it look like for us to live a life of self-control, of resisting the enemy? That we're not limited, but we're actually freer to be the people that we are. Right? We, we, could, have, we could have said, hey, <laughs> uh, we're just going to go about our day, whatever. But, but, but yielding yourself to God, as Jesus is going to Jerusalem, Mark says, when we are yielded and surrendered to God, we will stop for those moments that God wants to have an interaction with us. It is self-control that helps those boundaries flourish in our lives. This is where I want you to understand that self-control is the resisting of an unhealthy desire by setting boundaries. Jesus shows us that when we establish this self-control in our life is the key to bring in order, productivity, and fruitfulness in our lives. And God is calling us to imitate him by living out this discipline of self-control in our lives. One of my, one of my close friends, he's a pastor. He's been a pastor for some years. Me and him uh, started working on some stuff, and we put together some things. He did the bulk of the work. I, lit, I sat there and watched but uh, he shares these, these ideas on self-control, and I want to share them with you this morning. Um, he says that self-control is resisting the resisting of the unhealthy desire. It is the opposite of excess, of gluttony, of lust, of greed, of indulgence, of lawlessness. Jesus is a model of self-control, choosing his actions deliberately, Unswayed by temptation and enjoying the blessing of the good life without being enslaved to them. In Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he resists the temptation, to com- uh, to resist the temptation for comfort, power, and security. Self-control is love given itself entirely to what that which is Loved. Self-control is the fruit of the Holy Spirit's gracious work in our lives and is the means by which we are freed from worldliness. A wise and a godly person will always exercise restraint and create boundaries in their lives. Self-control includes these, these things, patience, tranquility, chastity, 
moderation, and gentleness. How, how do those things operate in your life? What, what areas in your life do you struggle with when it comes to those things? Oftentimes, those are the flickers of fire when they're not put into uh, rightful boundaries that burn down our lives and leave us in chaotic moments. And we're sat there asking God, I want to live a good life. I want to be free. I want to live the life that you've called me to. Yet we have not set up those things for us to ultimately flourish, to live free. So uh, this is what I know. I can give you all that and you'd be like, oh, man, that's cool. Pastor Elijah really preached an awesome message. But what do I do with that? So let me give you a couple of practical tools. I want to give you some simple practices that you can enter into as you're asking yourself, well, how do I actually do that? Number one, practice patience. Simply practicing patience by resisting the urge to act rashly in the present. Like, it's, it's really simple, right? Like, maybe the next time you're in line, instead of, you know, doing this thing in the tiptoes when you're in a grocery store, what line can I get to? And you get to the other line and somebody's already there and they got more groceries than the line that you left, you know? You ever been there? Instead of maybe picking up your phone, maybe just being present. Just being present. And just asking God, God, what do you want me to do in this moment? What, what, do, you, what, do, you want, what do you want for me today? And, and maybe as we're practicing patience, God will interrupt your day with somebody who needs to know Jesus. And maybe when we're practicing patience, instead of allowing the noise to come into our ear, we'll hear somebody who's asking for help. I, I tell the story all the time. Uh, me and my wife were uh, eating at, at a, I think it was a Denny's or something uh, one day, and like, uh, God, like I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying time with my family, and God just whispers in my ear, pray for the waitress. I'm like, God, all right, man, but, like, we're having family time, and, and Janie scheduled it, because I, you know, I didn't schedule it, trust me. Uh, and so, like, we're going on to the next thing. And God says, pray for this, this person. I, I simply say, hey, I, I, don't know, I don't know you, but God is saying something to me uh, to tell you that, like, man, he loves you. <laughs> Boom. She just starts crying. She's like, I've ha been having worst couple of days. And, and, and because in that moment I practiced patience and I was able to hear the voice of God, God did something in that young lady's life. How often is it as children of God we do not practice the patience that God is calling us to, just to, just to be still and know that God is there. And so that when we do that, we actually open our eyes to what's going on and not just what's in front of our phones. God can call us to, we can practice tranquility by, by being even-tempered, not given to wild emotional swings, fits of rage or despair. That maybe thinking good of the person who is frustrating you. Maybe slowing down. Maybe not getting frustrated when somebody cuts you off in line when you're driving. God, God knows I need that. Because I will drive you down. 
that literally happened to me. I have to confess. I'm going to confess in front of the whole church. I drove, man. I was like, and then halfway through, I'm like, Lord Jesus, this is a small place. I'm not in Buffalo anymore. This person might literally walk into the church. And like, that's, that's the guy. He's following me down M139. I confess. <laughs> Maybe practicing chastity by resisting inappropriate sexual desires. Maybe practicing moderation by enjoying good things without overindulging in food and drink and recreation. Maybe practicing gentleness by acting with great care to avoid mental or spiritual or physical harm to others. God is just calling us to practice these, these simple things. Let me give you a freebie and, uh, right as we go. Worship team, you can come up. Here's a simple way that you can continue to incorporate that in your practice is the spiritual disciplines. Try fasting. Fasting says no to the body, right? It is the shutting of the mouth. Listen, I love whenever we fast, people are like, hey, I'm fasting from social media. That's not technically fasting. The word fasting literally means shutting of the mouth. It is saying that, God, you actually are, are what satisfies me and not what gives my body sustenance. You give me sustenance. And we teach ourselves. Maybe it's silence and solitude. It is resisting the temptation of the world to speak in your ear, your phone, the busyness of all the things that are swirling around you. And you stop and you just meditate on God and you're just quiet and teach your mind how to be calm. Maybe it's confession. Instead of allowing that secret thing in your heart where sin can grow and, 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 and do crazy things and it can metastasize to become, become something in your soul that is dangerous, you, you find a brother or sister who you trust and love and you say, hey, let me confess this to you. I am struggling in A, B, C, or D. And instead of them judging you, they say, okay, let's pray. Let me walk with you in that. Because, man, we're, we're all on the scale. We, we, we don't have to be at the end of the road. God never says that as you become a Christian, you're supposed to be at the finish line. We all got to start somewhere. But it also starts with us saying, this is where I'm at. I'm struggling. And so that may be you today. Find someone. Participate. This is why we talk about joining a group. This is why we, we celebrate because 90% of our church is actually doing this. We get together in small little communities. This is just a large gathering where you get to be charged up. But we get together in small communities and we eat food and we laugh and we read books and we cry and we share with one another and we practice these things and we create good and beautiful boundaries so that we can flourish and that we can live a good life. That's what God is inviting us to. What does it look like in a world that is filled with chaos? Where there's more misery, where there's more pain, where there's war, where there's famine, where there's racism, where there's brokenness, when there's a group of people that are living in the overflow and they've created good and godly boundaries. And they're living free. And when life storm comes, guess where you find these people? Sleep on the boat. Sleep on the boat. What an awesome picture. That you can just stand up and say, peace be still to you wind and you storm and you waves. Because God's got me. 
That is a good life, isn't it? Let's stand together. God, I thank you for each and every person here because we're invited to live this life, this really, really good life. It doesn't matter where we are, how long we've been on this journey, we can start right now. So I pray that we practice these things, that we engage with these things, and that ultimately you flourish us in these things. In Jesus' name we pray.